A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hello, this is Pablo Sabaleta. This is Troy Dini. This is Kevin Phillips. This is Jürgen Klopp and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. Look, I travel to all these interviews from Barcelona and our socios keep us on the road. This independent podcast simply wouldn't happen without them. Please head to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now. Join us, become a socio, a member, and you'll get extra big interview content every month plus lots of bonuses. We need you. We can't do this without you. From Backpage, I'm Neil White, and this is the big interview at the World Cup. For the next month and a bit, the podcast will be coming direct from Russia on an almost daily basis. Our man Graham Hunter is already in Krasnodar, base camp for the Spain team, who he'll be following for the duration of their tournament. And he joins us now, Graham Graham of well, well, what you could do to bridge the gap is you could explain what the Russian for WTF is with a question mark and an exclamation at the end, and then we'd be, you know, communing. So, in general, these World Cup shows are going to be a little different from our usual podcasts, if you're listening to the, the big interview on a regular basis. Graham, can you say a little about what we're trying to achieve while you're over there? Well, um, I guess while writing, um, while uh, podcasting, one of the things we've discovered is that um, your and Martin's suspicion that people like to see behind the scenes, that, that people want to know how um, not just tournaments work, we're at a tournament right now, but how the life of a footballer works, uh, the things that um, the listeners don't always imagine or haven't that experience of. I think we're all well aware, Neil, too, that, you know, the privilege of our job, the three of us, um, maybe mine particularly, because I get sent to the coalface more often, um, is pretty privileged. And it's one of the things that has been a topic of conversation with people um, who do my kind of work uh, around this tournament since we arrived, that the privilege is huge. We'll touch on these things a little bit later, but to arrive in Moscow to be picked up by a, a you know, not a chauffeur, but a driver, um, um, shown round the Russian capital and then dumped off in a perfectly pleasant hotel. These are things that, um, you know, if you're if you're going to follow the World Cup via desperately slogging your way through um, the metro or a bus or a train uh, to get to work, doing your eight hours... And then hurrying home um, to to see whatever you know Saudi Arabia Russia on the box, you, you dream of the type of access or privilege that, that 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 I get. And a tournament is not simply composed of the matches; it just isn't. Um, how do teams get prepared to win? Um, what experience do the fans have? What is the what is the particular 
idiosyncratic nature of the country where the tournament is being staged. So having set all those ideas out and, and admitted that you know we're in a very lucky position to be able to describe a lot of those things, um, the, the, the concept was to, to have a, a podcast from um, principally Spain's vista of the tournament most days in order to say, well, this is what you aren't seeing and, and this is what explains uh, the mood in the Spanish press or this is what um, you won't have seen the mood of the S Spanish squad is or what their travel is like. Or in this instance, I'm trying to set the scene a little bit for what for many of our listeners will be a very far away nation with a very uh, different, unusual culture. And in, in short... We wanted to take people um, inside the tournament. That's right. And over the course of the tournament, I, I, I hope these shows are going to have a bit of variance. Sometimes it will be Graham and I chatting away like this. Sometimes Graham will be recording things on location as he roams around with Spain. And sometimes, hopefully, he'll be able to grab a guest or two to get another perspective on what's happening in Russia this summer. Today, for the first of these shows, we wanted to focus on the training camp. Let's talk in a bit about how and why these teams end up in these particular bases. First, you're going to be living in the city of Krasnodar for the next few weeks at least. It, the place, is going to be a regular part of these podcasts, I guess. So tell us a bit about where you are. Yeah, I can't tell you a great deal. I can give you enough of a, of a starter pack because that's all I have. What is important and what I can answer on is that this really interesting town, which feels like arriving in a Detroit or a Chicago or um, middle America because of the way it's designed, because of the feel of the, the houses and the backyards and the big brown river that, that flows through the middle of the, the city. And we're in the south because it's somewhere that is... Uh, pretty warm. Um, Spain is a, a group of players who, who don't want to be training in sweltering heat every day, but what they do really like is to try and mimic summer conditions back home in Spain. They they didn't enjoy the Brazil feeling of living down in the in the dank uh, south, where it felt very like a, a sort of snotty northern European autumn. And therefore not much fun, and then having to fly up to blistering heat in the north of Brazil. So in this instance, um, Krasnodar is down by near enough Sochi, um, where the Winter Olympics were held. It's um, starting to come into territory that many Russians regard as, as holiday territory, because the further south you go in this country, the more likely it is that you're going to get nice hot sunshine. It's quite a well-equipped city, and... Probably one of the things that um, I'm guessing influenced them a great deal, Neil, was one of the hard luck stories of the World Cup in that um, Krasnodar is a city with um, their own type of Roman Abramovich, who's Sergei Galitsky, and he owns FC Krasnodar. This city is big enough and the sporting facilities are good enough that many people genuinely expected it to be a host city. It isn't that strange. I can't comment on why, what the politics was behind that. But what we got left behind was the structure of a city which is um, used to being in love with football. Um, FC Krasnodar 
is on the rise. Um, Galitsky, who made his money through um, a supermarket chain, very similarly to the Reutsch family that owns Villarreal, for example. In fact, maybe the Villarreal uh, comparison for those who followed the Yellow Submarine, the way in which Reutsch's um, supermarket and ceramics money has allowed him to say, I'm going to take this team that's training in a public park and I'm going to take it to, you know, the, 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 a win at the Bernabeu this season, the brink of the European Cup final in, in 2006, so on and so forth. So the, the Galitsky comparison to Reutsch, I think, is, is reasonable. And what he's built, because he's absolutely dedicated, again, like Villarreal, to an academy, to um, making sure that local kids can train. Clearly what he's going to do is he's going to bring in hired gun professionals from afar in order to try and bolster the team. But initially, there is an idea that the local um, region should be encouraged to supply talent. And therefore, there's a very big, very modern training complex and a very um, impressive pair of stadiums, one of which is the B-team stadium that um, won't be in use on the 9th. When Spain played their um, second of two warm-up friendlies, I think it's pretty unusual, not unheard of, but it is unusual um, for a team to play their their warm-up friendly in in the competition country. But to me, from a distance, it seems smart. So what I can tell you, having arrived here late last night, is that um, the, the air, again, the airport, as you say, Krasnodar is going to become a familiar name for people listening to this podcast. The airport for a, a team that's participating in the World Cup and not living in one of the host cities is, is, is clearly absolutely vital. It needs to function. It needs to have a big enough runway. It needs to be modern, professional, quick. It needs to have a terminal whereby VIPs can come in and out without having to cross swords with locals or tourists, etc. And Krasnodar Airport passed that test. It isn't like South Africa eight years ago where they had to commandeer an ex-military base and um, challenge the local ANC mayor to invest, you know, I don't know, six-figure sum in making the runway better and, and therefore Spain could fly in and out on on its, you know, big plane as it nicked around Durban and Cape Town and so on and so forth. So um, Krasnodar has these things, Neil. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty big international popular city with a nice climate, good training facilities, um, What's not to like, and and this is entirely off the record and hopefully nobody's listening, but with any luck, we'll also find that um, Krasnodar is a city with a sports bar that is showing the Rugby League State of Origin uh, game, first of three, which is being played today. And given that my cameraman is an absolute maniac about the State of Origin game, Krasnodar has its first test in a sporting sense long before La Roja arrives here, which is, just for information, on uh, Wednesday evening. Okay, listeners, I'm sure we'll revisit the State of Origin game. Let's find out what happened the next time we speak to... <laughs> Up the blues! The next time we speak to Graham. You also mentioned um, Saturday's friendly uh, Spain are playing Tunisia, obviously in England's group, a match that you'll be attending, correct? Yeah, um, it's, it's again, maybe you'll tell me off after we finish recording this that that was too much detail. But like little things, like it's an interesting challenge in that the, that game doesn't fall under the ambit of the World Cup. So your FIFA accreditation isn't enough to get you in to make sure you can uh, go meet the players or um, get backstage afterwards, blah, blah, blah. So we have to work out directly with Spain. So Spain are the, are the authorities about accreditation, about who gets in and who doesn't, even though it's being played in, in Russia 
it'll be broadcast. I don't know if I have a feeling that Sky are showing it, um, but I know that uh, Mediaset, which is uh, Telecinco and Deportes Cuatro in Spain, they, they're showing this game live. Um, so we'll go to that game, Spain Tunisia. Listen, all of you sitting at home will know that Tunisia have been picked because there's an idea that they might match the playing style of Morocco. I'm, I'm not entirely sure that that's necessarily going to be true, but the idea to play Switzerland the other day in what was a, a pretty one-paced, friendly 1-1 draw was that Switzerland had been in Portugal's group and had run Portugal really tight for qualification and, and therefore there was some idea that it was a, a suck-and-see idea against the Swiss. Um, no injuries, played in uh, Villarreal Stadium, the old Madrigal, Ceramica Stadium as it's called now. No injuries, which is good. Um, Costa still looking a little bit sluggish. Rodrigo coming on, not really turning things his way. Um, Iniesta taking a couple of rough challenges, just as he did eight years ago against the Swiss when he missed the second game in the in the group against Honduras that they had to win to stay in the tournament. Um, so a reasonable exercise, certainly. Um, Spain created all the, the, the really good chances, scored. And Odrio Zola is this flying right back from Athletic Bilbao who got his, his debut goal, um, is a real fun player to watch in an attacking sense. Is is quite slight, and I think has something to learn defensively. But he's he's in the tournament ahead of Sergio Roberto, so I know that Sergio Roberto's got so much um, affection from people who listen to our work or read what I write that Odriozola will have the the focus on him until, for example, it's proven that Danny Carvajal has um, recuperated from that strain that he incurred in Kiev against Liverpool, and um, his goal was a, a lovely right-footed. Uh, Volley that um, I'm sure you'd have been proud of scoring yourself. Why, thank you. Uh, interesting, just reversing a little bit, snapshot of the football situation in Krasnodar. You mentioned FC Krasnodar very much, the new money, a um, couple of appearances in the Europa League. There's also Kuban Krasnodar, the old money, um, almost 100 years older than FC Krasnodar. The whole idea about old money, new money, uh, one of the things about... Uh, FC Krasnodar is it, it feels to me as if perhaps there's some degree of resentment that it's not necessarily made particularly easy for them to accelerate their process their progress uh, via money I'll tell you about the training ground I'll tell you about the stadium when I've been there but having looked at it and studied it it reminds me a little bit of the stadium in Durban people who have worked in and around it said it's very very good Again, if I'm not wrong, I'm pretty sure that Krasnodar played Real Madrid in the in the youth league, and um, I know there's a disappointment in this city. They, I mean, the Spanish flags are plastered everywhere because the team is going to train here. From previous experience, I know that the whether the supporters in the city are new money or old money supporters, they're going to clamour to see Spain. There will be open days. The fact that the the Tunisia match is here. It's being heavily, heavily publicised. Um, I think the tickets are relatively affordable um, to get in there on the ninth. But in O'Neill, the impact on me about the short, short spell in Krasnodar and the evident interest in having a former world champion domiciled here is is something that echoes what I've felt since I've been in Moscow. Predominantly, the host country really gets into it, really enjoys it. And with the increasing spread of football tourism as an idea, so which I first really began to notice in 2006, 
that vast swathes of people who had whose team whose country hadn't qualified would come and base themselves in Frankfurt or Munich or Hamburg to see two three games, or swathes of people from New Zealand w- w- might be following um, France round the tournament. That that element of football tourism, not the one that gets decried and slagged off with you know prawn sandwich brigade, people who, people from all around the world who genuinely just um, flood towards what they hope to be a carnival of football. That that element I've I've noticed and I've quite enjoyed. I have to say, and it's a cultural difference from when I began to follow football in Brazil. You didn't get that. That's what I'm building to about my feelings so far. From particularly from Moscow and travelling to Krasnodar. In Brazil, you know that the stories that everybody heard or read or saw on the television, and maybe some people listening to this podcast were in Brazil. Right across Brazil, there was a very heavy level of people who didn't want the tournament simply because they wanted government money invested in predominantly schools and medicine and, and hospitals. That wasn't the only feeling. There were many Brazilians who partied, who enjoyed and so on. But I saw protests. I, I saw the fact that there needed to be cops and army um, getting in the way of staged pro- protests. And and here, all I can tell you is that there's this gigantic um, pride that Russia is hold- hosting this tournament. That The vast number of people I've met and spoken to have been just brimful of um, please like us, <laughs> please enjoy us. Don't you think that this is good or that is good or the next thing? And so far, that isn't yet cloying or, or you know, saccharine to me. I'm really enjoying it. Okay, we're going to take a little break now, listeners. When we come back, some lessons from the past about the importance of training camps, probably more than you think. But first... Do you know what Krasnodar means? Surprise me. Graham Hunter, proud Aberdeen fan, you are staying in the city known as Gift of the Reds. Yo! Ah, you and your Black Sea Cossacks. I tell you what. And is is that to do with the, the October Revolution or to do with Catherine the Great? It goes back to Catherine the Great. Very good. Extra bonus points for your history. <laughs> Great, Catherine. Great work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back. 
Graham, we were talking about the importance of the World Cup training camps, and I know the science behind Spain's selection of these places um, that, that you've observed from your time following these teams through these tournaments. They won uh, the tournament in Austria, Switzerland. They won the tournament in Ukraine, Poland as well. But the, the, the intensity of uh, South Africa, the fact that it was winter time. I'm going to say Potchefstroom, which is a university town where you will often see uh, Northwestern University hosting one-day cricket, for example. It's um, a typical, um, I would say, Afrikaans uh, town whereby clearly the university itself is very diverse, but it would be about an hour and 20 minutes of a drive um, west from Joburg and it was there that they set up a camp that was vital in that they could they could work out their kinks that they could work out their their worries having lost the first game they were isolated they felt that it was a proper home um, the residence was right on the training pitch and therefore Potts probably um, gave them everything they needed because it was a lovely, gentle town whereby Andres and Iesta could wander off out the main gates of the um, training ground, wander down, down to the shopping centre and buy his, his CDs to listen to different kinds of music. Um, that's kind of laid back for a World Cup. But I know that what you're fishing for is that Spain get very, very, very intense about the, the quality of the pitch. Things have changed. There's no point in lying, Neil. Chavi's uh, not here anymore. So that alters things a little bit because Chavi was a, a, a pitch fascist. Um, there are worse I kinds of from, fascism than pitch fascism. <laughs> from 100 metres, he could tell you to within a fifth of a millimetre uh, what length the blades of grass were. And as such... Spain always want, number one, to have a training complex where what they work on, whether it be fitness, whether it be defending, whether it be set plays, whether it be rondos, that all of it is produced on, you know, a surface upon which you could play billiards brilliantly. Um, Now, let's see whether Krasnodar have supplied that, but... There have been technicians from the Spanish Federation here for a long time, um, trying to make sure that there are no mishaps that there were in um, Austria when the snows lasted so long that the pitches were very nearly not not constructed in time for that tournament. Um, Mishaps like in South Africa when the rains were so heavy just prior to the tournament that the pitch was very nearly washed away. And sandbags, emergency sandbags, had to be plugged in and installed all around um, the training complex in Poch so that the, the local river didn't literally sweep away um, Spain's chances of winning that World Cup. So in this instance, um, the other part of the equation you're, you're hinting at is that Spain don't want to travel far between um, where they live and their daily training. They want little details like the absolute minimum time that the Spain Federation can have their players in a coach, for example, travelling to and from anywhere, whether it be the airport, whether it be um, the training ground, whether it be an excursion, of which 
I don't know if there are any this time, but there there have been in previous tournaments. And it's it's also true that they want to have the team hotel in the venue. Like so, the the first three venues for Spain will be Sochi, which is a thirty five minute flight away, and Kazan and Kaliningrad. And each team obviously has the choice of one of two team hotels when they get to the match venue. And Spain will always try to pick the hotel where there's the least travelling from there to 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 the kickoff point. So these are some of the criteria that um, Spain like about the training complex. And if I'm not mistaken, um, Spain are going to be staying pretty much on the training ground, which they did in Poch, which they did in uh, Nuino in, in Poland. It was different in Innsbruck and they had a little bit of travel, which they found acceptable. But really what they like to do is to is to get up, go downstairs, have their breakfast, get changed and, and wander down the steps in their boots into the, the training complex, in, onto the pitch. And um, it might sound hoity-toity, it might sound pedantic, but they believe that over their, their golden spell of winning three straight tournaments, which is unprecedented, that if you get a, a mountain of little details like those right, your chances of lifting the trophy augments. The PR campaign, or the connection between Spain and their base um, that you mentioned kind of briefly earlier, is something they seem to get right almost every time. I was thinking about the, the, the charming children that came and did their, their little dance. <laughs> in Innsbruck. <laughs> in 2000, yeah. 2008 in Innsbruck, exactly. With, well, you, you're only saying that to take the piss out of me. It's, it's true, and it made me laugh at the time. There was an oompa band, and everybody was dressed like the sound of music, and um, Manolo El del Bombo, the big Spanish drummer, was there. And, and the, the, the guys who were the youngest in that squad... We're kind of standing around chewing gum and giggling and sort of not quite pointing at the, at the Tyrolean children and their feathers in their felt hats and their lederhosen. And it, it just was quite a, it was quite an odd um, scenario to watch. It was two very different cultures. I don't think kind of anybody really knew how to handle that but it looked pretty it sounded nice it didn't go on too long for the life of me i can't remember there was an incident where did did the did the local austrian children get taught how to sing the nursery rhyme veo veo that was brilliant it was so nice and at that point again i'm improvising so if anybody's mad enough to go and reread the spain book they'll probably tell me i've got all the names wrong but at that point i'm pretty sure the team leaders like chavi or whoever you know, really went and applauded them and said that was absolutely brilliant and the ice was well and truly broken. As a group, or, you know, obviously these are now quite distinct groups between 2008 and today, but, like, predominantly they're, they're really quite nice guys. Take a strip away the salaries, strip away the fame, even strip away the, the, the talent with the ball. And they're decent people, often very funny, um, likeable, very family-oriented and therefore, generally, um, although if you didn't say to them, go and interact or have a ceremony or, you know, sign autographs, they would they would kick around and find something else to do. There have been quite a few players who, who get charmed by this and who actively go out of their way to make contact and to, to be friendly, to be nice, um, and, and are quite... Enth- 
an, an example, one example is Fernando Torres reading up about South Africa and apartheid before going to the tournament and then taking time, even though he was having a really difficult experience with his knee, wasn't his form wasn't right, he knew he was being questioned in the media, it wasn't a particularly fulfilling experience for him uh, in a football sense, despite make, helping make the goal for the, to, to win the final. Um, he, he, he just spent hour after hour pleasing locals with photos and, and autographs as in, in terms of being the nicest guy you could possibly hope to meet. And there have been a few over the tournaments who've behaved like that. And so why is it successful? Is it in the national character? Is it to do with the um, National Association, how they plan it? Um, there's a woman called Sylvia um, who's been general manager, you know, born in Munchengladbach, but you know, she's a Spaniard by family and, and she's been at the Federation now for years. She's very good at making sure that a tournament is well run, well planned and, and pleasing or making friends with the locals is, is part of her remit and she does it well. But the players need to enforce it and they do because they're broadly they're 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 not bad chaps. And those not bad chaps arrive where you are tomorrow. Say hello when they do. In the meantime, you and I will be chatting tomorrow when I'll have some World Cup preview questions from our socios from patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Let's focus on Spain's World Cup, but anything across the tournament in general, I'm sure Graham will field your questions. Until then, from Krasnodar, Russia, Graham Hunter, thank you, and do svidaniya. Do svidaniya. I really hope you're enjoying these World Cup shows. We've got huge plans for next season. But we do need your help to make them happen. Go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, a member, to join us, to support us. You'll get an extra big interview every month, plus lots of other bonus content. Last season, our members got nine exclusive big interviews, including Rafa van der Vaart, Troy Dini, and Roberto Di Matteo. So go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Do it now, please.